There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Corey Roccacholi, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. No worries. Um, let's go right back to the beginning before we talk about the journey. And we're speaking about before my love for cricket growing up. And I think most people who've grown up in Australia, especially young boys, love cricket and idolise, you know, we are heroes of the people playing sport for the country. So tell us about where your love from, for cricket grew. I think it just started in the backyard like everyone else. Like you're saying, like you just spend so much time in Australian culture. you got footy in the winter and cricket in the summer. Um, I love footy and cricket equally. I loved all the all the sports. Um, and it sort of happened. We, I lived in a cul-de-sac where the people up the road from me or like next door to me were like a little bit older. And so they played all the sports. So I just wanted to copy what they do and then turned into we'd play in the summer we'd play like full-on tests for five days and we sort of had our own like ranking system so like we claim that we had the first ever like you had your price and however how you you performed on that day your price went up or down um so just loved the game sort of went through footy and then like I loved, I wanted to be an AFL footballer first. Like I wanted to play for North Melbourne. Don't ask me. Like it would have been great now because I might have <laughs> actually been drafted there. Um, but when the the footy footy's come out at training, I still enjoy that. Um, but it just got to a stage where back end of year 11, 12, um, footy sort of took a backward step, and cricket was sort of something that I enjoyed more. Um, I didn't really think I was going to do it for a job. Like if I'm totally honest, like you, and then you just you're a bit naive to like being like, oh yeah, I could do it for a job, and then you sort of like just 18, 19, 20, start going deeper down the rabbit hole, um, committing a little bit more of your time, sacrificing is like what you want to because like it's not really a sacrifice at the time, it's just a choice and sort of you roll through it and then next thing you know, like you keep wanting to get better and better and better and then sort of the carrot of professional career comes more and more in the picture. Um, but yeah, sort of started from there and sort of evolved into this. It's, it's pretty pretty fast progression but yeah, it's been, it's been a hell of a ride. That sounds like an awesome childhood to me. Yeah, I feel like my favourite thing about playing sport when you're younger, especially backyard cricket, is how liberating it is. You feel so free. And I feel like a lot of people stop playing sport when the pressure comes and there's more on the line. And it, 
it isn't just this fun thing you do anymore. So how has, I sort of guess, the love for the game changed, you know, from when you were young, playing with your mates, to eventually now playing cricket professionally? I still love it as much as I did back then. And I've really tried to tap into the essence of that for as long as possible. Um, I sort of, like, before I was professional, like, I probably lost the... It's not the love of the game. Your priorities of the game change because you're sort of chasing certain things um, when you when you don't have a lot of money and you sort of want that as a job. And then when you start playing, I think I've tapped more back into that sort of love love for the game thing. I've got a I've got like a photo, like it's like that, like sort of that big and sort of sits um, in my journal, my cricketing journal, and I use that as a reminder of like that that was me, still is me, and sort of tapping into that fun enjoyment side of the game. Um, when I take a wicket, you can sort of see it, all the emotion sort of spills out, and I really enjoy the game. I sort of tap into that and sort of like I'm, I'm no, I don't want, I don't admit it. Oh, sorry, I admit that I just love the game so much. I'm the cricket nuffy is what the terminology is used, and I sort of just love the fact that I love the game, and I sort of tap into that as much as possible. Um, I enjoy the when the boys love talking about cricket I'll think about cricket all the time um and it's just something that I've sort of tried to hold on to and even though it becomes your job and you start associating a paycheck with playing cricket I just sort of make sure that I'm tapping back into that like the stories that I'm telling you now like I still invoke a lot of emotion and sort of enjoy everything about it um so then I sort of use that to make sure like I've got that intrinsic motivation that matches that external emotion uh, motivation yeah it's a tough one because love for the game and then it's like you don't want to over put all your worth into it as well because I think passion's an incredible way to continue improving and growing and holding that love for the game. It's, it's a good way to keep your mental health in a good state. But where's where do you find the balance? The, ba- the balance of like my identity or like the balance of like loving the game and then having it as a job? I guess a bit of both, like making sure that, you know, a failure in – cricket you know that doesn't just define you sort of thing with your identity oh i've been really big on like i've always studied outside of cricket um i've got what i love outside of cricket as well like i love cricket so like if i didn't wasn't professional i knew i'd still be playing cricket so it doesn't uh that doesn't bother me too much if that makes sense but then there's the study like i make sure that i clearly identify with Corey the human and Corey the cricketer is then they're the same entity but like they my sort of like um, character traits get dialed up, dialed down, depending on like who I am, like the way I'm talking to you now or the way that I'm sort of laid back and a bit more relaxed probably doesn't come out when I'm training. Um, and that's okay. Cause that's the, what I'm dialing up or dialing down at the time. Um, and sort of like, I, I identify with Corey, the cricketer, but I know that Corey, the cricketer isn't what, why my girlfriend loves me or why my family loves me. So, um, I sort of, know that like cricket's got an end point at one stage so I can't just hold all my hopes on being Corey the cricketer because it'll, it'll be Corey the ex-cricketer soon enough um, whether that's today or whether that's in 10 years time um, and sort of that's where I utilise up my studies and sort of putting myself in opportunities to catch up with people outside of the game and um, it's like so it's like cliche but if you have friends outside of cricket you sort of have an understanding of the real world um, having some housemates who have actual real jobs gives me some perspective of the fact that what I do is pretty cool. So just sort of like aligning pretty solely into that. Yeah, I think the perspective is important. What about when you started playing for university and then I guess you weren't in the first 11 and I guess when did it sort of become apparent that you could make this path and what was sort of – what was the headspace like in terms of your belief around what you could achieve? I think my like 
superhuman strength is my my naivety. So like I always thought playing second grade that I could play first grade and play professional cricket. I'm like don't understand why necessarily like I'm super optimistic, which is sort of held me in really good stead. But I think they just sort of like I got rid of the goal of playing professional cricket, if that makes sense. So like I got rid of it so then I could focus on being present. And then it's funny enough, like when you start doing that and you let yourself perform on the cricket field and you go down the rabbit hole of um, like looking after your, your mental performance routines, like you sort of all of a sudden start playing really good cricket and then all of a sudden there's a niche and a spot for my role inside the the state set up and then you perform well you get a few more opportunities along the way and then all of a sudden you have a professional contract like it's almost like you write your goals down and throw them out the window and then you don't look at your goals again because I think you can get distracted by it I think the closer you are to something the more you are um, likely to start thinking about that instead of being present inside of like whatever you're doing so I think that was the main one like I sort of went to university as a second grade player and then I just immersed myself into trying on to figure out who I was as a person. Probably that that probably helped me f- foremost. Like I figured out who I was as a person, had some really good people at university sort of like push me into understanding who I am, ask good questions. Um, the like big ones around like sports a vehicle. So like understanding why you're, um, why you're playing the game for starters can allow you to actually perform really well. So um, like th- things like that um, sort of then allowed me to then actually perform in first grade cricket and then once you start performing then you start getting knocked on the door and looked up higher but I thought of I sort of like as much as I had the naivety I sort of like was like well I think I can get there so I'll train for that as well so mm. it wasn't just like I st- threw the goal out the window and then stopped training for it like I always trained for it but I think I started getting better at like well if I exhausted my potential and ended up playing 100 first class first grade games that's fine with me like I think the biggest thing that scared me then was like I didn't want to be like the Sorry to any uncles out there that are like this. I don't want to be the uncle at 40 telling my nephews that like I could have been something, but I got distracted or didn't give my best. So I just went all in and then, yeah, that sort of led one thing into another. And yeah, now I'm sitting on the podcast. Yeah. I feel like when you take the expectation off, because I feel like what happens is you can over-identify with goals. And I feel like it's a constant reminder that you aren't where you want to be. Like I feel like I was talking about this this morning with a guest where you can become so obsessed with this vision of who you could be, it's a daily reminder that you're not there. But if you're able to tap into being present and enjoying the journey, and it can be really hard because if you're an ambitious person who wants to best out of yourself, you know you can get to this place. But I feel like there's that balance between taking the pressure off but still taking the active steps so that you could get there. Yeah, I think there's like like no one's going to put any more pressure on yourself than what you're going to put on yourself. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's about like, it's so cliche, but you break it down into small steps and then sort of like not being frustrated if things sort of like don't pop up like when you want them to, like we were speaking about before the pod, like you never know when you're going to get the delayed gratification. So it's like just working towards your process and your purpose and then the other stuff sort of comes along the way. I think that's probably the biggest one that, yeah, if you're, if you're going back, like it's probably the one that I probably – was better at doing being more present and then it's funny like you're present and then you get to where you want to be but yeah you got to be you got to be in the room so to speak yeah do you feel like not making any of like the underage representative teams makes you appreciate when you do get there in terms of you it's not like you've been this path has been guaranteed and, and, you know, it hasn't been, it hasn't paved its way out. You've sort of had to forge your own journey. Yeah. I think it teaches you like 
resilience and you sort of enjoy the opportunity to play professional cricket now. But I think it like probably the yeah probably the biggest thing is it doesn't put you in a pigeonhole where you think you're going to get somewhere. So like when you're like got a chip on your shoulder because you want to make it and you don't sort of drives you a little bit more and it helps fuel the the fire that you need if you need to get up and do your training or you got training then you got to go to work like. I think it helps that and then it sort of helps you have some perspective and, and sort of like helps you nurture or like help young kids coming through now who at UWA who aren't making the state set up like as juniors, but you can sort of explain like it's not the be all and end all and junior cricket's a hell of a lot different to what senior cricket is. Yeah. Do you think, how have you been able to, I was reading an article online that said you're a philomath. I haven't even heard that word before. Um, do, you, do you know what that word no, means? No, I still don't. I, it means someone who loves learning. Oh, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. I still do remember that quote, yeah. Um, and I guess with cricket, it's one of those it's one of those things where if you can learn to those gradual improvements, those sort of invisible growths that don't seem, you know, important at the time, but you don't know when you're going to cash that check in um, and reap the benefit of all the hard work you're doing. So how have you sort of embrace that love of learning and applied that to cricket so that you can sort of continue learning and then you know now you're cashing in all that work oh i think you, you're constantly doing the work like i'm constantly doing the learning now so like it obviously helps me in five years time i think there's a james clear um diagram where it's like if your times i don't know if the math's actually correct but if your time's like 1.01 to the power of like so like 10 percent better 1.1 to the power of 365 you're 38 times yeah whatever it is yeah like you're so much better than what you were before you started and sort of it's like um i think you just go through stages where you keep asking yourself if you're walking towards where you want to be or you're walking away from it um and it comes in different shapes and forms like when you're 18 it's doing all the running and doing all the gym and then when you're 25 26 it might be you're dialing in more on your mental your mental space um but it's certainly towards that, like, if you're walking towards mastery, sort of like the, the way, the reason why I play the game is, is mastery and, and sort of like learning how to, like, grow your body, mind and spirit. And if you're walking, if you can answer that you're walking to that, like, and that's how you're, like, getting better and you, you're answering that to a T, then, like, you can be happy with that and sort of understand that it's not really, like, cricket being a vehicle. Like, it might not help you now, but it might help you in 10 years. Like, the 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 hard work, the resilience, like, that, is very good traits to have outside of cricket as well. So it's like you're actually learning. If you're using cricket as a vehicle, you can actually apply things outside of cricket, not only playing professional cricket and getting to where you want to be in, the, in that sort of space. So why do you think most people struggle to to do that? I feel like there's a lot of, I guess, people from a young age go into the sport and so, their identity is so, they're so emotionally involved with the sport and it takes a lot of time to take a step back. It's often when things like people getting families or almost losing what they have and then coming back and realize and, and finding form or whatever we want to call it. But it's often like a change in their life that gives them that perspective and they can almost bring their their skill set to the fore. Yeah, I don't I don't really know. I think it's like I think you sort of understand who you are as a human. Probably, the, I think that's probably the human aspect of what you're trying to like. What you're talking about, like, there's things happening in their human lives that allow their athlete life to flourish. And whether you get more perspective or you have more of the, you're watering more of the flowers in the garden, not just your cricketing garden or your cricketing flower. Like that might be the reason why. Um, I certainly like tell a lot of our young kids coming through uni and stuff. Like, I think you got to fix your human before you worry about who fix your athlete and 
I think you're a human first and an athlete second. Um, so I think it's like, I think it's that's like the main one. And I think like you just get caught up and, and naturally so like the bright lights of being a professional athlete, pretty cool. But I think it's the other stuff, like when things don't go your way and all the other stuff you don't see professional athletes go through that sort of like deters a lot of people. But that's like, I think when you, that's just the way that it works for some people. I think that's why some people where they are in their life and where you are in yours, it's just sort of like the natural progression of maybe sport isn't for them, but something else is. And it's tapping into like the stuff you enjoyed in sport. Can you apply it in whatever else you need to apply it into? How have you been able to learn from some of the the other successful bowlers in, in the WA setup? Good question. Um, I'm sort of like, I just sort of ask a lot of questions like, and they're sometimes they're silly or you just like watch and observe how they go, like do about their things. What can you grab from them? Like whether that's batters, bowlers, coaches, or, or sort of like the international players, like we're really lucky. Like we have so many international players at Western Australia. Yeah. Um, so many at the stars, so many at the renegades when I was there. So you watch and you learn, and you sort of adapt and sort of try and find where that, that square peg fits in your round hole. If that sort of makes sense, like what you've got to do to make what they do. And I think the biggest thing is like they all high performance sort of show, um, they've all got the same character traits, but you've got to find out where their magic is and sort of like align them together. So um, that it might be all in their match prep or they might be all in their like skill set or like they might train a little bit harder and you've got to sort of understand like where that fits for you. Like, do I need to dial up my match prep or dial up my skill training? Um, and you sort of watch and absorb and sort of like, yeah, just take your time to sort of like ask as many questions as possible. And you probably don't I understand like you don't know it all. Like, and so you got to like really dial in and sort of ask those questions. What's been your favorite cricketing moment so far? Oh, every game I play is pretty cool. Um, I think it's just like little things like, like debuting in, in T20 cricket and debuting in, um, in shield cricket and, and performing and I think like living up to where you think you can be. I think that's the, the coolest bit, like being able to perform in first-class cricket, perform in T20 cricket. Um, that's awesome. But I think there's like lots of pinch me moments. Like when you're playing in front of 40,000 people at Adelaide, or you're like, well, that's pretty cool. Like you're playing in front of 35 at Optus and getting sprayed, even though you're a West Australians, like that's still awesome. Um, I don't know. I think it's like, I think it's a lot of that. Like your caps you get, and, and the delayed gratification where like this is like really awesome and like you pinch yourself and you're like, well, I just trained today and I trained for three hours and that's my job and that's pretty awesome. Like I'm, I'm like that that sort of stuff. Like I don't have like a dead set moment where like that is the best moment of my life. Like it's probably just a whole com- – like it's a whole collective of like little moments where you're like – you're driving your car like oh yeah like that's that's pretty cool you start smiling and you're like smiling for no reason and you're just smiling because like of where you are and like you want to hold on to it so you want to keep doing the work but it's also like gee like 18 year old Corey would have loved this moment 12 year old Corey wouldn't have thought this is real so like like really tapping into that sort of like like really being appreciative of it yeah I love that I feel like that is such a powerful thing you're doing because it's easier said than done because once you get in the spotlight and you're getting paid and there's more on the line, it becomes a lot harder to do. Yeah, I think there's like there's element of that. You're a bit of moth to the light, like you whatever you're attract like if you get attracted to all that stuff, you're not gonna last very long. I think history is littered with people like that. So like and it, like it's it's a very special place. Like you're only in the like when there's 
six shield sides. There's 66 players that, well, there's, yeah, six shield sides. There's 66 players that can play professional cricket in first class cricket at the one time. So when you're inside that 66, like that's pretty epic being appreciative of that, but understanding like it's going to go pretty quickly as well. So like sitting here talking, like you're, you're one or two years away from being out of the system again. So it's like just tapping in and, and sort of enjoying it. Like you want to do, you want to do really well and you're trying to play professional career and you're trying to play as many games as you can. You're trying to play for Australia, but it's like really aligning into that. Like for me to walk towards my purpose of like being like a master of my body, mind and spirit and my skill, like every day you're going to walk towards it. So like bad day, good day, you're walking towards that. So like being really like aligning to that. What does that mean? Mastery of body, mind and spirit. Well, it's like, like the, whatever that big word you used before, but like learning how to, um, like every day you've got an opportunity to grow your body. So like your physical aspect, your mental side of the game or like your spirit. So who you are as a human. And if you can walk towards being a better human and being better cricketer, I feel like when you get to the end of your career, no matter how many games you played for whatever team, like you can be satisfied and be like, okay, I'm done, but I've like left it all on the line. Like I'm not going to choose when I'm done. Like I dare say someone else will make the decision for me. So I need to make sure like whilst I'm here, I'm enjoying the the opportunity and, and the ride that is and sort of walking towards being the best creator I can be and performing for as long as I can. So what is that just the driving force? Because a lot of people have a driving force that's I don't want to have regret. Or it's the push one, like I want to, I want to be the best version of myself. I want to have what comes with it. Is that what the driving force is? Yeah, like it's certainly around mastery. Like for for me, off spins an art, and I want to get. I just want to learn and grow in that craft, and and with that, I want to grow and learn in my batting and my fielding. But yeah, that's certainly something that drives me every day. That's the that's the intrinsic motivator that allows me to sort of like move. Like you're going to have the external, you're going to have the external motivation, but like the internal motivation sort of like they align with the external motivation. So like you want to obviously like have the opportunity to pay off a house or like provide for your family. And with that, like with that comes freedom and love and sort of that mastery side of things. But that's sort of the internal stuff that sort of allows me to sort of get out of bed every morning. And when you want to kick in the, kick in the bum and you need to train and do your, Eight eight hundreds at McGillivray on a rainy, wet May, like that's where the other stuff comes in handy as well. Eight eight hundreds, eight eight hundred meter efforts. That's a serious cricketing running session. Yeah, it is. I pretend I'm a footballer most of those <laughs> times. <laughs> what is the ups and downs of cricket? Being able to help with, um, I guess I've played a bit of cricket and it's such an up and down game. I think that's probably the biggest difference with um, cricket compared to sports like footy like it's such a emotionally it's like a it's a big roller coaster of a game i think you try and make sure you're not on the roller coaster so like what is good what is bad what's only the like the perception of what i'm going to make it out if i take fire far but i don't nail my processes like i'm not nailing my processes so i think i've just been you're just better at understanding like are you doing the things you want to do yes no well if you're doing them right and you're reviewing the game properly and you're, you're doing your review then it doesn't really matter how you perform because more often than not, if you do your processes, you do perform, if that makes sense. So um, I just I got a set of five keywords and I sort of rate them out of five after every game. And if I've done that and done what I needed to do, then great, I've had a, a game near on my perfect my perfect process game. And, and more often than not, that matches a good outcome game. And if I haven't, then I've just got something to work on. Mm. And it becomes a very easy, um, the three questions I use after every game was what worked, what didn't, what do I need to work on on a page? 
and I can answer that. And obviously being a human, I'm going to be negative more often than not. So keeping it to a page means I don't write 38 lines of what I need to do better. It's just more around what worked. I've got, I've got some focal points at the start of the game I'm working on. So might be in a different condition. So I'm working on, I need to know that when I come to this ground, I've got to do this. And at the end of the game, did I do that? Yes, no. Okay, cool. So I've done that right. I could have done this better. What do I need to work on when I'm in these conditions? I need to do this again or do this or my mental state wasn't good. My prep wasn't great. How can I sort of just like keep sort of intertwined? And then it's like the game The game hasn't chewed me up and spat me out. It's just my processes that allow me to sort of align to that. So you're not really judging yourself with outcomes, although they do sort of mirror your process. It's more, okay, what, what can I control sort of thing? Yeah, exactly. Like I get paid off my outcomes and I'm aware of that and it's sort of part of the job and you perform as a team based off your outcomes, but you don't get to choose your outcome. You get to choose how you show up and what you can control and hopefully more often than not what you can control, especially in a game of cricket where I don't decide the wicket, I don't decide the batters and I don't decide if it's spinning or not spinning. I've got to be able to adapt and sort of control what I can control in my 10 steps. And then hopefully if I've done that consistently for 30 overs, I can then allow myself to to reap the rewards of, of taking four or five wickets and sort of performing my role for the team. When you started doing that, did that have a big impact? Yeah, I like I've gone through many iterations of like sort of the affirmation based sort of like stuff going into games and sort of my mental processes, but I've certainly enjoyed sort of the last 12 to 24 months of the of the process I've got in and out of the game um, and sort of allowing my like pre my prep is very similar lights are the same actually all the time and sort of then that just allows me to sort of have a little level keel and it's sort of like something to look forward to like um, we were recording this like a couple of days before a game I'm due to do my my match processes before the game like my match intel then I'll do the day before the game I'll do my match prep I'll do my visualization the morning of the game and the night before and then after every day I get to rate my processes it's almost like a little fun game that I'm having that no one else sees and sort of like all I'm doing then is like adding some efficiencies I work with a sports psych Tom Parker and I've had good touch points with Dave Reed at the Melbourne Stars as well so I've been lucky to have um, great and Matt Bergen before them so like I've had sports psych- scientists I've been, a sports psychologist I've been able to work with um, and that sort of just allowed me to like find my efficiencies as well as like just reading books and listening to good podcasts to sort of help those, that cause as well yeah, I love that. Um, how do you sort of keep it simple but also strive to improve lots of little areas? Because cricket, there's so many different things like different batsmen, different wickets. There's so many variation and variables. But at the end of the day, it's still a simple, you know, consistent routine you're going for. So how do you balance like keeping it simple in your head but striving for heaps of improvements? Um, so naturally like i'm a curious curious guy which is like probably the theme of the podcast has come like come through but um i developed i didn't develop uh sports uh psychologist tom parker early doors in my career um because i wanted to learn so much and i love learning and i want to be a better spin bowler every time and we sort of developed a thing called the curiosity dial so just a little like a um a mental cue going into a game where I turned off the dial two days before the game. So um, something now that I've been able to like, I just naturally do it. But two days before the game, I'm not trying to get better. I'm just trying to perform, finish the game. And then like however long I've got before the two days before the next game, like I'm learning. I'm like, like before it used to be like I'd no podcasts, no growth podcasts, no growth books, um, no growth 
documentaries, anything that would bring my mind back to cricket and how I can get better and sort of like um, when I'm at training, like two days before the game, like not trying to get better. That sounds really weird, but like you going into a game, you need to perform with what you've got. You can't keep changing your mind or change your technique because the game happens too fast that you can't think about your technique whilst you're playing. You have to perform. Um, the other way to put it is like you're preparing your art like your strokes and you're learning how to paint paint the um, canvas on some piece of paper and you're getting your, your paint prepared. But when you do the masterpiece, you've got to make sure that you're, you, you're, you're doing it subconsciously. You're not mm. just like trying to figure out how to do the brush stroke whilst you're doing the canvas. No, I actually really like that. I, I had someone on talking similar who was a, a PT, owns a gym, and he was speaking about how he he does a lot of learning. So he does lots of seminars and courses. So he learns and it, he calls it like periodization so he does like a learning phase and then like an implementation phase because i feel like if you're because we're like oh we, it's a journey we want to keep growing and learning and i definitely get caught in that mindset but then it's like if you're in a performance game it's to perform so you sort of need to switch that dial off so i, I see the value in that is it is it just removing the cues that would trigger that so like growth podcast books yeah and yeah. your thoughts in any way? So, like, you're just trying to align back into the the performance mindset. So, you're like, um, you, you're listening to a podcast and you'd be like, oh, geez, that works. I wonder if I can implement that into my training. And then you go to training, you're like, that might be two days before. And you're like, you're trying to change something two days before the game. Like, that's why there's pre-seasons. It's deliberately set up so you can make major um, technical adjustments. So, like, for when we started doing this, I sort of just kept a journal or kept talking to my spin coach at the Wacker where I was like, all right, so I'm going to do this in the preseason, but right now I don't have that in me and I'll just slowly slowly chip away. So overly technical, but like there's a, uh, for anyone who knows cricket, you bowl on the wicket. You can bowl from wide of the wicket or where the stumps are. Um, I didn't have a wide of the wicket ball and through like experience on the East Coast, I needed that. So what we did was we just then every week I did my skills, my skill training where there was no batter. I spent 90% of my time where I was good. And then 10% of the other time I was working on wide of the wicket. And now I've got both and sort of like, let it come and sort of chunk in. And then when I was ready, it sort of came out in the middle without me trying. And then you, I use it now to, to great effect, but it's only because I like sort of like let it evolve instead of like trying to grab it and then trying to use it straight away. Mm. Can you talk us through some of those mental cues that we we're talking about before we're speaking about some batsmen, but I think there's a, powerful thing that you talked about like letting the subconscious take over control like you go through your learning and you have a lot of stuff in your conscious mind like trying to improve but I feel like you perform best when you're in that flow state so almost allowing yourself to get to that how do you sort of get to that flow flow state is it what cues are there? Yeah, I think it's obviously like really hard to get into like obviously the literature is like in the pocket of flow states really hard to get into but Sort of like the easiest way to put it is like you're jamming a word in there. So like human beings are always going to think. So like when you're doing something, you're going to think a lot. But then when you do something you're really good at, you don't think a lot about it. You just sort of like naturally do it. So in times of pressure, when you're like, when the pressure around you is like pushing in on you and you're like, there's like a a distrust or like a, there's no linkage with like your competence and you might be lacking confidence, then you've got to have like sort of a word that sort of like you can fall back on so that like you get hit for a couple of sixes, like what are you going to go back to? So you stay out of your, your red brain, you stay blue and you stay in the, in the zone. Um, and so like I sort of just use like whether it's the word stumps or compete sort of interchangeable, but sort of use those words as I'm running in. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. To be able to like lock into that um, And then different formats require different things of me But it's like T20 cricket, don't miss the stumps So I'm just saying stumps And then um, then I'm like, once I bowl the ball Then there's a quick like couple of seconds where I'm like Right, does this work? Does this not? Why did it go there? If it was good, walk back to the top of my mark um, when I play, I've gone a big to my big tippy toes when I'm about to bowl the ball, and that's just a mental cue to take a big deep breath, deep uh, breath uh, breath in on the way up, uh, out on the way in. Sort of use those cues and sort of keep keep those words really simple. Obviously, like when you're performing and you're competing really well, you don't use those words as much. Like you might use them two or three times in the over. You might not, or you might just rely on them when you've been hit, or you feel like your self awareness is like telling you that you're not as present as what you could be. And one of my key words is present and I rate that out of five. Like how present was I? Was I forward thinking, backward thinking or was I in the moment? And that's sort of something that I use to like there. That's one of my, my five words. Has that improved a lot over the journey with like, let's say you're not taking wickets in a game, you know, you're getting hit for runs. Like is that where have you had improvements with your ability to stay present and not sort of get caught up in thinking what it could mean? Yeah, I think that's where confidence comes from as well. Once you start, um, obviously confidence is a behaviour and um, confidence is the emotion. And once you start understanding you've got competence in your skill at that level, it sort of then just allows you to um, sort of like think less about it. And sort of then you can start developing those sort of skills and sort of got things to rely on. And I think when you have pockets of things where like you're playing in front of 30,000 people, you start understanding that you need those things. Otherwise, like it's sink or swim. And if you can't be consistent in that, how are you going to be consistent when there's 35,000 West Australians screaming at you? Yeah. Um, that's a curious question. That's a question out of curiosity that I have is like, what's it, what's it like to play in front of that, that many people? Um, like in terms of like being present, does it sometimes push you to that? flow state or can it be really easy to get caught up in yeah you can get caught up in all of it like it's just like whether you like the stage or you don't or like it can be intimidating you're walking in the middle of a ground you look up and there's you don't see faces you see people um i think the thing that i sort of try and like describe it as is like if you got it like you're in the, your workplace and there's lots of all like Probably it's probably better at school because you can understand it more at school. You know, like you start your 
you're in the you're in the classroom. There's lots of noise, but you're focused on what you're doing, and then the noise becomes like almost like a hum. It doesn't become like voices, and then like you're zoned in. But then like if you're zoning out of your skill, like you're not writing, like all of a sudden you've finished what you're writing on your piece of paper, and then you hear all of it, and then you get like involved into it. It's sort of how it feels like you're bowling the ball in the middle of the ground, and like you forget every like I. I forget that there's cameras. I forget there's people watching. I just feel like a hum, like there's people there and it gives you that adrenaline rush. Um, And then you might run to the boundary and then you're like, holy moly, there's like 35,000 people here. Or like I remember during the Scorchers game last year when I was with the Renegades, like first ball got flicked to the boundary, chased at the boundary, ball hit the rope. And I remember hearing like 35,000 people scream and yell. And I was like, that's epic. And then – I was like caught myself. I was like, that's pretty cool. You come back to task. You're sort of obviously trying to do your job. So like the other stuff just becomes like a, it's like noise in on you, I suppose. Like you don't get that in grade cricket or whatnot. Like the, like, yeah, it's not pressure, but it's like just like the noise of the ground sort of like comes in into the middle of the ground. Um, and then like I, my favorite bit's taking a wicket away from home. So like if you're playing, um, like when I took a wicket at Adelaide Oval or at Optus, you don't hear anything. It's actually incredible. Like it's just, everyone's just flat and it's like, it's actually a really funny feeling. Like you're like, wow, where'd the noise go? Like you notice it more. Um, but yeah, certainly like that, like you don't necessarily hear the noise. You just hear the hum or you feel the hum more than anything else. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, in terms of, I guess I'm interested in how you've thought about, I guess the I wouldn't call it scrutiny, but the you know you're in the public eye, you're playing state cricket. There's a lot of attention. How have you sort of dealt with with the attention? I don't know. To be fair, I feel like you're a very loved love cricketer, um, and there's not too much negativity. But in terms of the spotlight and the fact that even if you're doing well, there's still a lot of eyes on you. Well, it's my like I don't know. Like it's my job, and it's someone else's job to judge my job, and it's like. Yes, like I don't get to go into the accountant's office and judge him as much as the accountant or like normal people get to judge me when I play, but it's sort of just like it is what it is. Like I can't really stop them writing about me, but it's also like I'm, for me to get paid, there needs to be people who want to go and watch the game. So to watch the game, you're entitled to your opinion. And then if you're – then there's the media which pay for the rights to the game, so they're entitled to write about the game. So – realistically like it just is what it is like I haven't had a whole heap of bad press I had a little like I had a couple of articles written when I was playing for the stars and I was like we were called the scorchers rejects and like it didn't hit me too bad because like it just sort of is what it is like someone's job and that's their job um I can have my views but at the end of the day like I also can't control how other people see me I can only control like me playing the game and like I actually find it very funny to open up my Instagram messages after games and I've got people like spraying me on, on social media. I like, I haven't had a whole, whole heap of it compared to what some of the other boys have had, but um, I just find it funny. Cause like if someone's taken their time out of their day to abuse me, there's clearly like, it's not my problem. Um, my debut game against the, the thunder last year for the renegades. I um, had five voice memos from the same person who was clearly drunk First one spraying me, second one spraying me, third one spraying me. I took a couple of wickets. He loved me. And then by the end of it, he was like loving me. But you could tell his voice was getting uh, slurred each time. Um, So it's just like the scrutiny's there, but you want to be a professional creator. So you've got to cop the bad stuff. Like, 
if it's not really bad, like just someone's judging you on a piece of paper or like writing things about you and it's their job to do it, I suppose. Yeah, there's always a price tag yeah. to whatever you want in life. So, no, nah, it's good that you're dealing with it in a positive way. Um, how was your trip to India? I saw you went there for a bit of a spin masterclass. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, it's um, it's cool to see how cult- the culture of cricket sort of grows across the, the world. They're sort of um, – in India, they're fanatical about it and they don't really care that if you haven't played for Australia, you played – I think I'd played 14 first-class games at the time. Like, they'd, they want photos. They, like, know who you are. They know your stats. Um it was just good fun, like culturally, like getting out of Australia, going to like have a couple of weeks in India, seeing the streets of Chennai, seeing what people live like. Um, at, yeah, as a like a whole touristy thing, that was pretty cool as well. Um, I'm not going to walk across the Chennai Street anytime soon. That was frightening enough. Um, but yeah, like the spin stuff, like you, like once again, like you go there and it's a two week like immersion of like the skills you need there, and then that's actually helped my game coming back into Australia. You have skills that you sort of. Uh, call upon i think the best thing i did over there was i just wrote it down every night i just wrote like a couple of pages of everything that i learned and that sort of stuck in my head but it also like reiterated a few things we're like geez i learned this and then by the end of the two weeks you're like i'm doing this so much better than i'm doing this now and then hopefully if i get another chance to go to india which is the whole point of the exercise it's like the aussie selectors are picking you because they think you might be able to play down the line in india it's like right, well, what, what tools do I need to work on in Australia that I, like you were saying before, like I've got to work on tools in Australia that I'll never use in Australia, but I'm going to need them more in India than probably like I'm going to need them in Australia, but I've got to keep working on them because I only get touch points in India. How nice is it for the wicket to actually spin? Yeah, very nice. Um, although the Wacker Day 1's been spinning heaps, so I'm, I'm happy with that. But yeah, it was those sort of new experiences were pretty cool opening the bowling and sort of seeing how they played spin bowling was was epic we played a played a one day on the first day and i think with that we scored 450 in 50 overs and they were one for 280 off 27 overs before the rain came so like that a guy 180 off 80 balls so it was like incredible um but it was spinning a lot the, nah, the, the one day i was like flat it was like oh. you're playing on marble and then the um the two the two spinning wickets, which are like on the same square. They had a flat one day wicket, a spinning wicket, and then a more spinning wicket. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. That's sick. Um, speaking about podcasts and books, what are some of your favorite sort of growth books? Um, podcasts? podcasts, Finding Mastery is my favorite um, with Michael Gervais in America. Oh, yeah. the, the old, uh, he was not, he's not anymore, but the Seattle Seahawks psychologist. Um, I like his back catalog a bit more than his new catalog. Um, so like I, that sort of was my introduction into all of the stuff I do now was just listening to that and then like making the link between like, well, if a musician, a surfer and an NFL player are doing this for their mental prep, then clearly there's a linkage there. So, um, even though he never interviews any cricketers, like being able to like learn and sort of have those aspects. And then, um, books, there's way too many books that I've read that are, um, amazing. Um, probably the the biggest one was the pressure principle by dave alfred so like that's a um uh he was johnny wilkinson's kicking coach so he talks a lot about affirmations and sort of like um the way that he taught johnny wilkinson how to kick and it was a really 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 good book that sort of started really started my um my understanding of mental skills and the need and the and the the purpose of them um and then other books other books other books dan carter's new book the art of winning is really good What about you? Said you've read um, Power of Now. Yeah, I've read the Power of Now. Um, 
I've like dabbled in all those like all of Eckhart Tolle stuff. Um, yeah, I can't, I'm actually running a blank. Atomic Habits. Yeah, I've read bits and pieces of Atomic Habits. I've got a I've got a library of books at home where like I reckon I've read half of them, and then I pick them back up later. So like, there's been a, like lots of books I've read, and then lots of books that I've sort of half finished. Yeah. Um, but I sort of went through a phase early. Like we had a couple of hubs, so like I just read heaps of books in the hub. Um, yeah, I think The Art of Winning and by Dan Carter and The Pressure Principle, the two like that stand out in terms of like cricket and sort of mental skill stuff that I sort of like really enjoyed. Um, Legacy, a book about the All Blacks is really good. Um, uh, Who Stole My Cheese is a really good book about perspective. Um, uh, the Go-Giver, a really good book. They're two small like parable books that are really, really cool about purpose and sort of identity. Um, yeah, there's been a few good ones. Yeah, you gave me a good recommendation, Tuesdays. With Tuesdays Mike. with Mori. That was I read that in India. Actually, that was that was an incredible book. That that actually made me almost cry um, towards the back end. And that was a good book on perspective and and sort of the, the art of the art of meaning of life. So that was yeah, that's that's a pretty good book as well. How important do you think? Then we've sort of alluded to it, but like actually implementing these things because like so many people read self help books and see information on the internet, but like you actually got to apply it. And Hormozy talks about learning. He defines learning as like, and you could apply this to cricket, the same same conditions but different behaviour. Yeah, I think that's the the art of it really, isn't it? Like mindfulness or journaling, meditating, cold showers, ice baths, whatever you want to do. Like it's the art of doing it consistently and often over and over and over again probably helps like your routine more than just sporadic sort of changes and um yeah like i've done a couple of meditation courses so like i'm big on that but it's like that's the um i i you got to do it every day like it's like a a muscle you got to flex as well i think like you've actually got to implement it and then with come meditation it's like when you actually do get frustrated having the self-awareness that meditation teaches is what you've actually got to implement when you're going through things um, yeah, that's yeah. I think that's the biggest one, like finding what works, but also sticking to it. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of the times we we try so many new things, but we already have so many good things working for us. And I was talking today with this bloke, and we talked about how like we've often got the tools within ourselves already, but we keep trying to like search for people to give us these tools. But if we had a bit more introspection, we'd be able to find them ourselves. Yeah, I think that's why, like, for me, like, just journaling and meditating are probably the two that, like, I enjoy the most is because they're so easy to do that you can do them everywhere and they sort of give you more of a reflection on yourself than what anyone else can. Um, and then it's, like, little things like just going for a swim and finding those mindfulness things, are, they're probably the 10, 10 out of 10, like, big rocks that you – the little things are only – they're only you're only really going to get great benefit from them when you actually lock into the other stuff you need to be doing. Yeah. What's probably been one of the biggest challenges you've faced so far in your cricketing career? Uh, good question. Um, I think it's just the constant, um, most of the time you live in a constant state of anxiety. Like when you're playing cricket, like you get better at handling it, but you're constantly compared, contrasted and like, pushed and poked almost to perform that like you live in a yeah high anxiety world and it's like how you deal with it it's probably the most important thing like like you said like there's scrutiny that adds to the anxiety you want to perform you're all mostly everyone who's in cricket sort of that high performing sort of mindset so 
it's just like dealing with that, dealing with um, being away from home a lot. Um, uh, the more that I'm going away from home, the more I want to stay at home. Um, sort of dealing with that sort of stuff, living in hotel rooms for a couple of months, living in hotel rooms for a couple of weeks and being able to like, having to perform whilst living in those um, environments, which is like living in hotels great for the three nights that you do it with your missus at the crown, but like actually doing it for a job's like a little bit different. Um, so like it's those sort of things that sort of like, it's not one thing. It's like little things. If you let them add up and you don't have the right mental health um, processes, you can sort of like get you sort of caught up and sort of a bit frantic and a bit like down the spiral, so to speak. So has that anxiety, which is understandable, like it's performance sport, but has it st- We've spoken about the love for the game. Do you feel like they can coexist? Yeah, I think that like once you do the other stuff like I've done recently or like in the last 24 months, it's my fourth year on contract, like I think the, the other anxiety stuff happens less because you've got the competence but you also have the, the perspective. I think probably helps the cause a little bit and then you can sort of like put the other stuff at bay for a long periods of time instead of letting them in all the time. Yeah. What's it been like to meet players that you sort of, I'm guessing, looked up to? Um, yeah, I think you realise that um, everyone's human. I think probably the biggest one, like just because they're really good at a sport doesn't mean they have everything in order outside of their life and that's that's like perfectly okay. It makes you feel like as a cricketer, I don't have to have everything sorted. You make mistakes, you're going to fail. Um I think you have little things where you're like, like anytime I meet Gilly, like God, Gilly's phone number, I think it's the coolest thing <laughs> ever. Um, like he's a legend. So like being, I don't know him, but that's pretty cool. Um, I think when like they're, I think when it turns from like they're your idols to your mates is like a pretty cool transition. Like, um, like me and Ashagar, um, Coops, like, He's not my idol, but, like, he's a big dog, so. Um, but, like, yeah, like, bangers, like, those people, like, they can, like, when they go from being TV to your mates, like, that's pretty cool. Um, not just cool, but, like, you sort of, like, it sort of dumbs it down and sort of, like, they're not cricketers, they're humans, and you sort of start, like, I'm friends with them because they're human is cool, and they're human is, like, someone I want to hang out with, not just because they're bowl of cricket ball really well. Um, and that's sort of, like, the whole meet your heroes thing. Like I've met them and they're still good people, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I love that. Because I feel like we do put we do put all these players on pedestals. but And I feel like the important point you raise is like they're all human because I think we, we tend to think those people have life figured out, even though constantly their, their mistakes are shown in the, in the Australian public eye. But... They don't have it all figured out, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it it allows you to it takes almost the pressure off you. Yeah, I think the game or like the the media ex- puts the expectation that you know everything and you got everything sorted, but you don't really. At the end of the day, I think you got to accept that and sort of like there's you're gonna muck up. Just unfortunately, in the job that you're in with the scrutiny you're in, that that's gonna be your muck ups are just gonna be on tv or or whatnot whether that's a skill based error or like dropping a catch or whether that's like things outside of the game as well. I want to know how you enjoy forty degree heat in the long, long games. Like, do you ever like you love the game, but are you ever questioning? Like, does it ever? Are you just like fuck? I just want to get through this this day, or is it? 
you still love love those moments. I think you love the moments, but like there's times where like if it's an easterly breeze at about five knots, I'm like, geez, I could be out on the bike. Or if it's a good weather and you're like, geez, I could be at the beach. Like that's pretty cool. But I think the rationale or the way that I use it in my brain is like it's 10 years. So like just cop it. <laughs> like it's 40 degrees for 10 years and like or 15 years if you're lucky four years if you're lucky like um and then you're done so i'm probably going to be re- wanting it more when i'm taking my kids to cricket and oh geez those memories were sick and um i can sort of like yeah I, I think i use that that sort of perspective there's moments where you're like gee get me off this ground but then you're like more often than not it's when you're playing poorly so you want to get off the ground as quickly as possible but i don't yeah the heat doesn't really bother me um I think what you find is after a four-day game, you probably want to avoid the sun for a couple of days after. But when it's hot and stuff, like you're getting paid to do it and you're, you're, you're deep in the contest, so you sort of forget that it's hot. You sort of just deal with it and move on and you're playing a summer sport. So it's far better than that than when it's chilly and your fingers don't warm up. Yeah. What are you most looking forward to in, I guess, your cricketing journey? Oh, I think you like just walking towards mastery, like wherever that sits, wherever I finish with that um, is probably what I'm most excited for. Um, I think the other thing as well is like your, I think I'm just looking forward to all the new moments that will pop up. Like when you win two shield finals, like you remember the 1am's sometimes more than you remember the the game. Like can't remember much about the game, but gee, I can remember a lot about the celebrations. Um <laughs> And sort of the feelings and sort of the jubila- jubilation you have there and sort of the memories you share with people. Um, I think that's the the walking towards mastery and sort of trying to fulfill my purpose is probably the biggest thing. And then um, whether it's 100 first-class games or 40, it's, that'll be what it'll be. It's just the opportunity to walk another step forward into, the, into mastery. So do you feel like we talked about cricket being a vehicle, but the relationships outside of the game are massive? Yeah, I think that they're just massive. We're 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 human beings who like connection. So I think that's the the biggest one. Like we're all we all want to be connected with people outside of cricket. So um, I I would take a lot of less games if it meant that I was far more connected to the people outside of the game than um, and and having good healthy relationships than having 150 games and 150 games of Test cricket but no relationships outside of cricket. Like you got a 10 year career and a 90-year life, you want to make sure the relationships outside of the game are, are nice and healthy. Who have been some of the biggest influences in your journey? Um, I think it's everyone that I've met inside of cricket, to be honest. Like, everyone sort of served their purpose and sort of, like, helped me grow. I think that everyone at UWA sort of pushed me in the right direction. Um, UWA Cricket, um, Will Stibbs and, and Viv Paver were the early doors ones. Matt Birrell, my first A-grade captain. Will Bazisto, um, those are the first grade players. And then having really good connections with sort of Ash Agar sort of helped me bridge the gap between first grade and first class cricket. Um, Bo Casson, the spin coach at Western Australia, has been, don't know where he would, where I'd be with him being in the system, just sort of helped me sort of find the efficiencies and sort of been a really good asset. And um, and then Tom Hogan, early doors at university, sort of like unlocked my, my spin potential. Um yeah, I, I think they're all up there, but I, I would be amiss to say like my parents and sort of my family and my friends and my girlfriend, um, Caitlin, like she's been amazing sort of like finding the perspective outside of the game, finding the perspective in the game, taking the piss out of me when I'm thinking about things too much. But I think it's like every, I think it's 
everyone I've met for good or for bad has sort of served a purpose and sort of helped them inspire me or sort of like teach me a lesson along the way. Yeah, you can often – it's funny because – talk about the biggest influences and it's often in a really positive way that sometimes we learn the most from the people who have had negative initial impacts in our life but they create long last long lasting positive change um i want your nickname's rockets why is that uh do you, you both spin nah it's just like rockets rock rocket rockets uh, yeah. uh, i think that's where it came from um yeah, I've had rock, rockets, hammerhead, pickle juice. I've had about 35 different nicknames, I reckon, at WA at the moment. So, um, yeah, I've got a plethora of many. I just take rock. It's, that's just rock and rockets are the two that I use, or the two that are, are common. Rock just being short for my long last name that no one pr- can pronounce and <laughs> rockets for, for that. What's it like starting at new teams? Like going into, so you've gone to Renegades and you went to Stars. So what's it like? almost having like fresh starts uh it's cool because you obviously don't get the opportunity to have a first impression again but i think it's just like if you just show up authentic then it doesn't really matter like if you're just authentic to you then they have to take you on your authenticity if you show up as a different person and you're not authentic then i think that's where the like the troubles lie but i've had fun like i've had the opportunity to meet 40 new people over two big bash franchises and every single one of them sort of like helped morph my creating experience and sort of give me the opportunities and the journey to allow me to take another couple of steps forward towards that mastery piece and um yeah sort of give me a new understanding of cricket and sort of like learning that sort of stuff and yeah i find it easy but i also like i'm sort of that extroverted and can sort of have a conversation with everyone so it doesn't bother me too much and sort of like try and like when you're around new people, you can ask new questions or the same question, just people have different answers to it. Mm. Are there many people in this, the cricketing circuit who are into this space? Like the mind space is so huge for performance, but it's often those people who don't really tap into that space. Oh, I think it's certainly going. Like I don't feel like I'm an odd one out by doing it. I think just people have their own way of doing it or find it a little bit later in their career. Um I've just found it because it's sort of something that helped me get to first-class cricket, so I've sort of wanted to tap into it more and more. Um, but I think that, like, everyone sort of uses it in their own way and it's sort of like some people dial, need, need to do a lot of it. Some people don't feel like they need to do a lot of it, but they all sort of find their way eventually, um, whether that's through anecdotal, like talking to other cricketers and copying what they do or working with um, sports psychologists. Yeah. Who are some of your favourite spinners? Uh, I really enjoy Ravi Ashwin from um, India. He's probably my favourite, but I think that's just because his ability to perform everywhere. Um, I love the abil- uh, the idea that he's adaptable. I think that's really cool as a spinner to be able to perform on every. Like he comes to Australia and performs really well, plays in India, bowls really well, plays in England, plays really well. Um, so I think there's him. Like I learn heaps from Nathan Lyon. Like spending time with him has been awesome. Sort of like learning what he had the repeatability in his um how good he is, um, Ash Agar. Um, he's been the best luck because I've been able to spend so much time with him. So we've been able to talk the mastery piece and sort of go really in depth with the art of spin bowling. Um, so I just like naturally now, like I just love watching him bowl and I love talking to him about spin bowling. But yeah, I reckon it's probably Ash and, um, Ash and Ashwin that are the <laughs> two biggest ones. You've also... Sports science degree, two diplomas, and you're studying now. 
for the for an M- MBA. Um, so I guess that is that help with your I guess balance and your love of learning more. What where do you sort of see that stuff taking you? Uh, I don't really know where it's going to take me, but it's the ability for my mind to be used in other assets that aren't just being cricket being a cricketer. Um, certainly, the MBA has put me into contact with people who are high performers in their field and has given me the opportunity to sort of ask them questions and um, I think that's the biggest one like just being able to um, realize that when you walk into those classrooms you're a student and you're not a cricketer and more often than not I'm walking into those classrooms so underprepared that I need to scrap to get myself to learn to be able to like when I'm doing economics and finance management I feel sorry for my lecturers because they get about 10,000 questions um, and I've been carried through a few group assignments but um, yeah, certainly the love of like the learning aspect, but also like the fact that I can be challenged and sort of use my identity. And I think the biggest one is like I'm doing an MBA because it'll help my future wherever that ends up, which then allows me to be at a little bit more ease with my cricketing career, knowing that if it finishes tomorrow, I've got aspects of my cricket, my life that I can then go into and sort of like sort of learn, um, like do. I don't know what it's going to be, but I know that it's there, which is better than it not being there. Yeah. Does that uncertainty excite you then, the possibility of playing for Australia? Yeah, I think that it's just, it helps you get out of bed when you don't want to get out of bed. Um, but I think the biggest thing I'm probably really good at now is that's there, but I'd rather just be, I'd rather just be present and playing for WA and sort of like, I just want to keep owning that space. And like, if I'm only three or four bad games away from not playing for WA, so um, I think the uncertainty of just making sure that I'm present and performing is probably the biggest one first up. And then um, it's exciting that we live in a country or like play for a country that's so good at cricket that I can allow me to play for my country. Um, but it's so hard to play for your country. So um, Gaz, Nathan Lyon's done it for 15 years and that's why, because he's been so good at doing it. Um, my job's to keep performing and like if I perform that stuff naturally happens by itself and you put yourself in the conversation but I think it's just about being able to stay present and sort of like really enjoying playing for WA like every time literally every time I play for WA I don't take it for granted because I know that I wasn't necessarily always the first picked and destined to get there so I feel like I've got I've got to hold on It it feels like my first game I've got to hold on every time to being able to play so I want to keep playing for WA. So you think your journey allows you to not get complacent? Well, yeah, that and probably like my archetype of my my character. Like I don't like being complacent um, and like you don't want to lose your spot and you want to hold on. So like it's sort of what drives me to make sure like now it goes from like you want to get there to like you want to stay there. So how do you get better so you stay in the position that you're in? Yeah. All right, that's pretty much most of my stuff covered. Anything you want to touch on before we wrap it up? No, Um Obviously, keep listening to the podcast because I think the stuff the stuff you've been producing has been pretty good. Um, uh, been really good. Sorry, not pretty good. Um, but yeah, I think we had a good chat, so that's good. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you coming on and telling us about your journey and I guess the mindset stuff of cricket and what you've been through. Sweet, thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.